Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. Hi, I'm Harry Manx. I'm a singer-songwriter. You can see that for yourself as a musician in front of your audience. Are they feeling it? Are they hearing it? If they are, great. If they're not, fine-tune that stuff until you really reach those people. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? I started in Europe as a busker and then eventually ended up in Japan. I had my $1,000 days. Your pay is equivalent to the pull you have. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis. Not joining me this time is your co-host, Fred Keating. Fred is in some other exotic location gathering some interviews for the podcast, while I'm on Salt Spring Island, which is off the west coast of Canada. Why am I on Salt Spring Island, a place that you may not actually have heard about, particularly if you're not a Canadian? Well, I'm in nature, in the backyard of Harry Manx. Harry is a six-time Juno nominee, and for those of you who don't know, if you're not Canadian, the Junos are Canada's equivalent of the Grammy Awards. So this guy really knows his stuff. Harry, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show today. Harry, something that really stands out about you is you're a man of the world. You were born in the Isle of Man. You immigrated to Canada. You've lived in India. You've lived in Tokyo. And all of that is really reflected in your music. And something that I think is really cool about your music is that it's really referred to in some circles as the Mystic Sippy Blues. Tell me about this. Yes, that that name probably is given to me because it describes the music, which is essentially a mixture of Delta Blues and and East Indian ragas, and I came to that mixture uh, through years of traveling and studying music. Well, tell me about your time in India and how that influenced you, and I think there's a special musical instrument that you discovered there, and you've brought that back into your blues music that really just blows people's minds. Yes, I, I found an instrument that has 20 strings on it, and it's uh, played like an Hawaiian guitar in your lap in a slide fashion. And um, to be able to play it, I found the creator and the teacher of that instrument, Mr. Vishwamohan Bhatt, and I became his student for five years and stayed with him and studied the instrument. So you are a musician, and I think that's a really notable thing that you actually have a background beyond that as well. You worked many years as a sound engineer. Tell us about this. In my uh, young teenage years, I left my home and I joined a band as their technician. And uh, through that band, I learned a lot about sound equipment and being with musicians and the business. And I became a roadie and then a road manager with bands. And we toured the country and we went overseas quite a bit. In fact, you toured with one of the Canadian supergroups of the time, Rush. Is that correct? Yes, I did a tour with Rush and I worked with the great Canadian band Crowbar for many years. And yeah, I saw a lot of great acts and I worked in the Elma Combo Club in Toronto, which during the 70s was a place where a lot of great blues showed up. Now, what is it that caused you to transition your career from doing the sound technical work into the creative work with the musical instruments? Well, I started to see that music was becoming a big part of my life, more so than sound equipment and that lifestyle. So to that end, I had to get away from the bands and discover what my musical sensibility was, where I could begin to become a musician. 
Now, why the blues? Well, the blues, you know, I had seen blues bands in Toronto as a teenager, and my first record was a blues record. I just fell in love with it. It's one of those things, you can't really put your finger on it, but you know it's part of what you want to do and be. Now, at this point in your career, you're quite well known. You tour the world, you sell your music all around the world, you make a good living from it, but at the start of your career, I understand that you actually were a busker, and you busked in places like Tokyo. Oh yeah, I started in Europe as a busker and then eventually ended up in uh, in Japan. And the great thing about busking, it's a school of learning because you, you see what works and what doesn't work directly with your audience, and yet you're free to play whatever you like and you pick your hours. And uh, some days it's ham and bacon and other days there ain't nothing shaking. Well put. You know, and before we started to roll, you told me that you actually earned a very respectable living busking. Yes, in the 80s in Japan, it was a real boom town, and I had my $1,000 days. And um, I never saw money like that any other place. But those were great times, and it really comes down to if your act is good, you'll make a good living on the street. And if your act ain't, well, keep on playing. And you juggle, too. I learned to juggle. You know, some days uh, the music wasn't the thing, so I took out my juggling gear in Europe and I used to go out in the street and had so much fun with that act and I made a few bucks to keep me in good style while I practiced my guitar. Now what is it that caused you to get the traction in your career and lead you to where you are today? Well you know I was really not focused on success I was focused on uh, what really turned me on. So when I got to India and I started playing the Indian slide guitar I got deep into that and I forgot about my blues for a while. Eventually that Indian slide guitar started to work for me and then when I looked at how I played blues I started to see that perhaps there was a way to bring the two together into one style so I started working on that so I came about it very accidentally but in the end I think I ended up with a style a hybrid style of music which uh, serves me well today. Was your marketing mind also working at that time when you were thinking wow if I can figure out how to integrate these Indian instruments into classic Delta blues I'd be a one of a kind? Well it seems like that now looking back but no unfortunately I didn't see that coming. In fact, when I came to Canada after being in India for 12 years, I went around town in Vancouver with my guitar, and I didn't bring the Indian slide guitar, and I didn't play any Indian things. I just played some blues. And uh, that was sort of working. But one day I brought the Indian guitar out. I found myself sitting there with a huge crowd suddenly, and that's when it dawned on me that, well, maybe I should bring the Indian influence out and let the people get to know it. So did you learn then that success comes from not being being like everybody else but by being different enough from everybody else that you become unique. Yes, totally. I did learn that. But I remember feeling beforehand that I didn't want to stick out. I didn't want to be the one that had some weird instruments, some weird music. I've, I felt almost like uh, I might be laughed at, you know. I was, I have to admit, I was a little afraid about that. But in hindsight, it seems like, yeah, it's a natural thing to do to really try to be your own unique self. Now, what does your career look like today? I understand that you've recorded a lot of albums. You've toured the world and you continue to tour the world. Yes, uh, now I'm uh, traveling a fair bit on tours, maybe two or three tours a year that involve 30 or 40 shows at a time. This year I'm in Canada and Australia. Last year I was in Europe for a bit. Yeah, I move around and uh, I'm very grateful that I find my people and my people have found me uh, around the globe.
And I understand that you went through a period where you actually recorded 12 albums in 12 years? Yeah, 14 in 14 years. But yeah, I'm thinking about the next one now. I didn't do one this last year. I um, I started to see that I should only do it when I feel totally inspired. And I didn't feel inspired for those 14. But it started to wane a little bit last year. So I left it until that inspiration comes back. Because um, real inspiration, it has waves. It comes in waves. Now, I know a lot of our audience is wondering, how do you market your product? Yes, well, I began with giving my music to a record label, but I, I quickly saw that they were getting 90, I was getting 10%, so it was hard to watch that. So I began a, a record label myself some years back, and, and that's worked well for me. One of the key factors that works good in my career is having a great agent. I, I'm booked with a, an agency that's well-known, and that's that's a key part of your career, getting to an agency. Uh, before that, you struggle. You try to tell people you're good. You try to show them you're good, but to catch a break is really hard without an agent. So now the agent gets you the live gigs, is that correct? That's right. He sets up the tours, he contacts the venues, and uh, he makes that all work for me. And how does that work for the benefit of our listeners who are maybe thinking of getting into the business? I understand the agent takes a percentage of the revenue that comes in. Yes, the agent will take a percentage, but the real interesting point is trying to get yourself hooked up with an agency. Basically, they want to work with people who have a following or already are generating some income streams. So that should be your focus, you know, getting a a following going with the use of a publicist perhaps or using the online media that's accessible to you and then get your story rolling. And once it's rolling, an agent would love to be a part of that. And part of getting the story rolling, I would suppose, is the live work in the first place, right? Playing folk festivals and that sort of thing? Yes. There's no need to really go on the road. You know, your career begins wherever you are and it branches out from there. So you play your town and you move to the next town and you move a little further and eventually you become national and perhaps international. You need to make some phone calls yourself, build up that momentum, play some live gigs, get some fans, get some people selling your CDs, and now you have the attention of the agent? Yes, I think so. All that helps, you know. But the one key factor is that if your show isn't really gaining traction, it might not be because of your lack of attention from the world at large, the agents, the media. It might be because the show itself, the music itself, needs a deeper inspiration. So you can see that for yourself as a musician in front of your audience. Are they feeling it? Are they hearing it? If they are, great. If they're not fine-tune that stuff until you really reach those people. Is that why you enjoyed busking so much? Because the reaction was very immediate? Yes, you could see the people respond. (laughs) If you weren't good, you weren't eating well that day. So uh, you want to fine-tune that act until you start to pull on the people. You know, myself, I focus on the heart. That's where I I aim at people. I I don't want to engage their minds in great ideas. I want to just reach their heart and hopefully they'll feel inspired by the tune. So actually, it was through your busking that you had the blinding flash of the obvious that maybe you should be working that Mohanvina, that Indian musical instrument, that 20 string musical instrument into your blues act. Had you not been busking, you may never have figured that out. Correct, yes. I saw the hint of the reaction from the audience and that inspired me to move forward and I started to embrace my uniqueness. You know, yeah, I'm not playing straight blues. I've watered it down perhaps or I've added something to it, I don't know, but I started to accept it myself and then 
I started to play with, uh, with more enthusiasm and more pride about what I've done. So now, once you have the agent and once you're playing a lot of live gigs, is it like one thing leads to another pretty naturally? Yes, you know, your career grows by the pull you have with the audience, you know, by the reach you have. The more you can reach out to them, get them engaged in what you're doing, that's how you your career gets elevated and that's how your value gets elevated too. Your value, the price that you're paid is equivalent to the pull you have. How many people and how much are they willing to pay? As you grow, those crowds will grow. You know what, Harry? We're just about out of time for this episode. But before we sign off, I've got an idea. Why don't we listen to a few seconds of one of your compositions that you feel is a really good indication of how you've worked this Eastern mysticism into your Delta Blues music. What do you recommend? Well, I've taken a song which was originally an Appalachian uh, a cappella vocal song, Death Have Mercy, or O oh Death, and I've added chords to it, and I've played it on the Mohan Vina. Now, the raga, the particular scale that I use for that song, it's a very deep, dark raga that's only to be played at the night time, so they sort of make sense. One is kind of an Indian blues. The other song is, is a deep, mournful blues. Let's take a listen. that I can't see Cold mist is running all over me Stretch my eyes, wanna stretch my limbs Ain't that the way that death began Oh, yeah. oh, oh death Have mercy where Wow, that's fantastic. Hey, now, before we sign off, is there anything else that you'd like to say? Some words of advice, some sage advice to our listeners. Well, you know, what my teacher told me in India, he told me wonderful things, but one of the things he said is, never try to be greater than the music. What he's saying is, let the music come first, you know? Don't worry about you being the one recognized. Let the music come first. Well said. You know what? You have so much that's going on inside this musical mind of yours. Can I visit you again, and can we continue this conversation? Most definitely. Uh, You've inspired me. Thank you, Marvin. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity.